You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, as you've been hearing all day, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Or as I like to call it, the twins' birthday. St. Patrick's Day has had a different meaning for me for a long time. First off, I don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. I'm purposely wearing blue. Not that I have anything against the Irish. It's that I'm a Mick all year round, so I don't have much choice. On St. Patrick's Day, that's when the imposters come out. And I invite everyone to be an imposter and to have fun. But I don't drink green beer either. I drink Guinness, especially on St. Patrick's Day, because they can't dye it. It becomes, it comes out the proper color. But 12 years ago, St. Patrick's Day took on a different meaning for me because my youngest two kids, Emma and James, were born. So happy birthday to you both. I was actually sitting here in the CFRA newsroom when I found out that we'd be having twins. I was in the, uh, in the newsroom, and what you need to know about the CFRA newsroom is that it is perpetually cold. The heating and cooling system don't work, and so you'll find people wearing sweaters in the middle of summer. <clears throat> and I think it was around September, and... I get a call. It's my wife at the hospital saying, are you sitting down? I said, yes. And we had two kids, and she told me that we were going to have three and four. I was expecting a third. I wasn't expecting the fourth. And I walked in ashen-faced to the news director, John Brenner at the time, and I said, can I close the door? I need to talk. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, we're having twins. Without missing a beat, he turned around, and he said, Well, we just approved all the raises. Let's see if you're getting one this year. And thankfully I was, because suddenly there were four mouths to feed. And they arrived on St. Patrick's Day, as per my request. And my only worry now is for a few years, when they're not turning 12, but when they're turning 17 and 18 and 19 and on and on. My oldest boy asked me to do... The entire show today with an Irish accent. Now, unlike many people that will do them freely, I can actually do a proper one. My parents are from Scotland, but my family background is um, you go past my grandmother and eventually everybody ends up back in Ireland. Notice how I said that there, Ireland. It's said differently. I used to do plays here in town with the Irish players. Actually, no, sorry, that was the Toronto group. I was with the Toronto Irish players when I lived down there. And then here in Ottawa, it was the Terra players. Did shows like um, Stella by Starlight, Frugal Comforts. In Toronto, did uh, a great pantomime, did uh, Cinderella. I was one of the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella one year. Absolutely fantastic. The crack was great. And... The kids would just laugh at you as soon as they see you. Imagine me, six foot two, long sideburns, and I'm not the ugliest stepsister because the other guy, Johnny, he had five o'clock shadow at seven in the morning. 
and the two of us are supposed to be playing Cinderella's sisters next to this young, stunning beauty. But it worked, and it was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I can drop in and out of those accents. Um, it's, uh, it's a habit of imitating both my parents and everybody that I, I grew up around. Uh, big community of expats from Scotland, some from Ireland, some from England. So I can just go around the entire islands. I won't call them the UK because 26 plus 6 equals 1. And if you know that math, then you know what I'm talking about. So happy St. Patrick's Day to you. We will be talking some Irish stuff on the show today because a guy named Davin DeCorcomo is coming on, and he is an expert in all things whiskey. Now, he doesn't sound very Irish, but he knows Irish whiskey. He knows Canadian whiskey. In fact, he's written one of the definitive books on Canadian whiskey. But we're going to discuss the subtle differences across the, the, the different styles of the water of life. So he'll be coming on at 8 o'clock. Just after 7.30, going to be talking with Evan Solomon. And I was surprised to find out about Evan's Irish heritage. You'll hear a little bit about that, but really we're going to be talking about helicopter parenting because while I've seen Evan out with his kids before, we've run into each other at a couple of things. I, I didn't realize he was such a nervous Nelly parent. So I had to have him on and say, what gives, man? So we're going to talk about that. And... Carrying on a bit of the conversation from last night, Solomon Friedman, who I mentioned on last night's show during my conversation with Ottawa City Councillor and CF vet Jody Middick. Solomon Friedman is a lawyer, defense lawyer, and a firearms law expert. He's going to come on. Maybe we'll find out if he's Irish as well. Maybe, maybe that'll be a surprise for me. But happy birthday to Emma and James, because to me, more than getting drunk, more than wearing silly green hats and painting shamrocks on my face, that's what March 17th means to me now. And it's funny as you watch your kids get older, the way they change. So my daughter that turned 12 today, she, um, she was walking around the house wearing high heels. They were not hers. You can guess who they belonged to. So she's wearing her mother's high heels. And um, she literally said to me, I don't know why she's asking me, but she says, Daddy, how do you pee in high heels? I need to go to the bathroom. Now, I don't wear high heels, but I'm pretty sure the answer is you just go. Uh, she thought you had to take them off. She's learning. My son... See, the rule is they can have what they want for their birthday dinner. And my son decided he wanted nothing but meat. He wanted southern fried chicken and steak for dinner. No vegetables. Technically, he had a vegetable because there was potatoes. Like I said, the family background. You're going to eat potatoes. And he's born on March 17th. His name's James Patrick, so he's going to eat potatoes. But, you know, what do you want for your, your birthday dinner? They've gone from the age of wanting hamburgers and hot dogs or cereal and ice cream to saying, can I have a T-bone? Can I get a steak? Can I have fried chicken on the side? And that is a dad's dream, isn't it? That's enough of my personal ramblings for today. You'll probably hear a bit more drop in and out through the, uh, through the evening show as I 
get wistful as I, I share with you the odd story here and there. But we will get into some politics, but we're going to have a lot of fun today as well. Uh, coming up, though, we'll uh, we'll get into some news headlines that you need to know. I'll expand on them. Uh, Evan Solomon coming up, Davin DeCorgamo on the issue of the vital issue of whiskey, the water of life. All of that coming up on Beyond the News. I'm Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just about uh, half an hour ago, walked across the street to the old Dubliner, taped a little bit of the music, the the crack going on. The crack was 90, as they say. The crack was 90. Uh, So Donald Trump is something that people can't stop asking politicians about, of all stripes. The American people are speaking, and they're selecting Donald Trump. They're also selecting Hillary Clinton. Nobody asks, nobody asks other politicians, hey, what do you think about Hillary Clinton? Can you believe the Democrats are electing a liar? Can you believe the Democrats are electing an old hack that lied to the American public? They don't ask that, but they will repeatedly ask about Donald Trump because they want other politicians to say nasty things about Donald Trump. Hillary will get a pass. Between here and November, doesn't matter whether it's American media or Canadian media, Donald Trump is, I I think he said he could shoot somebody in Times Square and he wouldn't lose votes. Well, Hillary Clinton will be indicted and the media will likely not talk about it. So Donald Trump is on the minds of reporters as Justin Trudeau is in New York. And he gets asked about it, and and he says he says he, he wants to stay away from talking about it, right? Says he doesn't want to get involved in American politics. But tell me what this clip says when when the question is, what do you think of the Trump phenomenon? I have tremendous confidence in in Americans' uh, capacity to uh, you know get the right result through their electoral system. Hmm. To get the right result. So meaning elect the old cynical hack for the Democrats instead of the old, you know, Trump is older than Hillary. I'm going to pick on both of them for being old. Don't think it's a sexist thing. He won't say anything bad about Hillary, but he's going to say, I trust the American people to get it right. Meaning pick the liar. Pick the woman that's been close to power and close to corruption for How long's Bill been in office? Since the 80s? You'll notice a pattern here. 
Justin Trudeau is not staying out of it. Do you not think that if Donald Trump wins, that he will not take notice of these things? And for all the talk about the bad relationship between Stephen Harper and Barack Obama, they may not have been buddy-buddy, but they could work together, and they did. How well do you think Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump are going to work together if he keeps up like this? This is bad for Canada. This is dangerous for Canada. Whether we like it or not, the American people are speaking through a very democratic process. As I said last night, Trump has to go state by state and convince people to vote for him. And so far, for reasons that are beyond me, he's been able to do it. For Justin Trudeau to take snide little shots at him like that, or like he did in the 60 Minutes interview, and elsewhere, is bad for this country's future. One professor who is not political, but simply runs the numbers for elections, says that there's a 97% chance of Donald Trump winning. I highly doubt that. And if you've seen the attack ads coming out from the Democrats where they're going to take on Trump for what he said about women, using his own words, but voiced by women, this man is in for a tough fight. But there's still a strong chance that he could win. We do not need to go back to the days of Canadian politicians dumping on American politicians just because they happen to be of a different stripe. Stephen Harper did not do that to Barack Obama. Stephen Harper did not say bad things about the Democrats during the election in 2008 to replace George Bush. It didn't happen. It shouldn't have happened. But Jean Chrétien and his party... They did. They, they were all over Bush. They were happy to say bad things about Bush. Now we're returning to that, and it's not good for Canada. Also, while Trudeau's in New York, he's doing an interview with Bloomberg. And he announced something that normally, well, it would be information you'd keep secret because it's in the budget. It's the type of thing you might announce in Canada because it affects Canadians, not Americans. But he was happy to sit there and say he's going to return the retirement age for old age security, and let's be clear, it's old age security, to 65 instead of 67. Next week's budget will feature uh, that we will confirm uh, that we are keeping the uh, old retirement age at 65, uh, because how we... uh, not raising it to 67, because how we care for our most vulnerable in society is really important. It is important, but here's the thing. Most of the people that were most upset about this were people that were seniors. You weren't going to have to worry about it. I was. The fact is there needs to be some kind of reform. Now, before and after the change, I've advocated changing the way that the old age security system works. It's supposed to be about lifting seniors out of poverty. Did you know that you can be a senior who earns six figures in retirement and still get OAS checks mailed to you every month? Why is the government sending anyone that makes 100000 or more a year a, a check to lift you out of poverty? Are you really living in poverty if you're making one hundred and five, hundred and ten thousand dollars $110,000 a year? No. 
No, so I don't think you need a government check, and it doesn't matter to me how small it is. There was, this was announced in 2012 that starting in 2023, there would be a gradual increase from 65 to 67, giving everyone time to make adjustments. Like I said, I'm 44. It was mostly going to affect people my age, not people that are 60, not people that are 65, and not even people in their late 50s, really, because it would be so gradual. What Justin Trudeau is not doing, he wants to bring it back down to 65. That's fine. As you heard from Ian Lee on this station earlier today on a couple of programs, it's a bad idea for many reasons, including the fact that this was an established program back when people lived until about age 68. Now, the averages were living into our 80s. But what Justin Trudeau is refusing to do is reform it in other ways that will save the public purse from an expense that is only going to grow over the coming years. He wants to drop it to 65? Go ahead. But bring in reform in another way. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Um, the the answer I like to give is for parents to think back on when they were kids um, and what their own parents allowed them to do. And unless they think that their parents were negligent or throwing them to the wolves, um, or if they think their child is is way less competent or smart than they are, I think that we can give our kids that same freedom that our parents allowed us. All right, that's Lenore Skenazy, dubbed America's Worst Mom, but a fantastic woman, great guest, someone I've been following a long time. And I heard her on with Evan Solomon yesterday, so I convinced Evan to stick around for a little while today and talk to me because I didn't realize, Evan, that you're a worrywart parent. I, you know, (laughs) first of all, I think I am. A helicopter you, you described I'm, yourself I'm a total as that. Parent. You know, it's funny because I, for myself, have no worries. I like to go out and take a lot of chances, but I am weirdly overly protective of my <laughs> kids. And then one of my kids, who's 11, decided that, you know what, it's March break. Me and my buddy want to go take the bus, go to the mall and see a movie. And he's 11, doesn't have a phone. So then my wife and I are thinking, what do we do? And, you know, I could hear the, the helicopter noises in my head. <laughs> I want to microchip the kid. But I knew about Lenore Skenazy, free-range kid. You know, she let her nine-year-old take sign the on, subway. take the subway, America's Worst Mom. So, of course, we get her on the phone because it's March break. And when you got four kids, I have two kids, and they're all running around the city. And we let our son go. Now, his friend had a phone. But I got to tell you that, <laughs> you know, I think I got to loosen up a bit. Yeah, that was an interesting part of the conversation was do you give – kids a phone do you not give them a phone and you know so mine are 15 13 and the twins turn 12 today so happy birthday yeah happy st patrick's day i'm worried about a few years from now oh yeah and uh, counselor tim tyranny has uh i can't remember a boy or girl a few years older also born on st patrick's day so i told tim i'm going to him for advice on how to handle the drinking years when they turn st patty's day yeah how do you handle that (laughs) But I, I don't have a map for you on this. No, no. So 
But when I was a kid, you know, Lenore says, what did your parents let you do? I grew up in Hamilton, bit of a rough town. My mother would give me bus fare, tell me to make sure I had a quarter in my sock so that no one would mug me for it, uh, so that I could use a payphone. But there aren't payphones anymore. So I kind of get where you're coming from of, do you give the kid a well, phone? Do you, I mean, we, kid, do, you, do you give your kid a phone? What no. age? So I, I'm they, no phone, but my daughter at 13, when she turns, she just turned 13, we'll probably give her a phone this summer. Yeah. At 13, because then she's roaming around a bit. And I don't know, I think 13, she can handle it, right? Because she won't play games on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about my other guy. Well, my guys have iPods, and they play games constantly. Okay, so there you go. And and so I know that's going to happen, but there isn't th- that same safety net that we had when we were kids, when you could just, okay, I got a quarter, I'll call Ma, tell her I'm going to be late, or I need to be picked up, or whatever. So I, I kind of get that. But what were you like when your kids were little? I was paranoid. And my wife, and a lot of my friends said I was too paranoid. And You were the parent that walked behind them on the stairs? A bit. And my, my brother, who is the exact opposite, uh, we take our kids. Well, I've always taken my kids on a canoe trip mm-hmm. in the summer. And I remember the joke was that on a portage, when my son was four, in Algonquin Park, I made him wear a life jacket. You know, as I was carrying the canoe on land, <laughs> my brother, you know, I thought he might fall in somewhere. My brother, like, he's on land. And so, so that gives you a picture of my paranoia. Part of what I think the issue here is, is trusting your kids and this weird paranoia that we've got. And this is what Lenore Skenazy says. We've got this idea through the media that the world's very dangerous for kids. Crime rates are at historic lows, 25-year lows here. In New York, she says, 40-year lows. Yeah. And the chances that your kid's going to get picked up by the crazy and kidnapped is so low, it's much more dangerous to drive your kid to work. And so she's basically saying, relax. We are overprotective, and we are raising wimpy kids because of it. Let them experience you know, wiping out on their bike and making their way home. It's not as dangerous as we think. She, she told the great story, and if people want to hear it, I know it's up on CFRA SoundCloud of um, this guy right. who injures his leg and cycles home with one leg, ends up being Jesse Ventura, <laughs> Navy SEAL, uh, wrestler. wrestler, governor, nut bar, but, yes. you know, tough guy. And her, her point is that you, your best memories as a kid are when you overcome challenges. Now, the question everyone asks her is, what would happen if, okay, Miss Free Range, what would happen if your kid is kidnapped on the subway? What would happen if something happened? How would you feel then? And she well, says, you know, the, she would feel terrible, of course. To use the great Quebec saying, if my, uh, uh, if my aunt had wheels, she'd be a bus, right? I, I have no idea so what kind that of, means. If, if, if. There's <laughs> yeah, no, so, no, so many ifs. Right. But, you know, my point is, now here I go back into the wall. So I'm back in the walls and I'm a... Inside the walls, you think, do you do everything possible to protect your kids in case of the if? And But when does that become overprotective and way too much? And, and you know, her point is, listen, trust your kids and trust the stats. It's not that dangerous anymore. Let the kids go out like you went out, like you and I mm-hmm. went out. Because you know what? As a kid, I ride my bike to school. I take the bus. No problem. Now my kids ride around the neighborhood trying to count other children that are out. 
and it's difficult. And we, and we know they're, we know that they're there because I see them coming out as zombies to catch the school bus in the morning. I'm like, wh- where are all these kids the rest of the day? That's right. You know what? It's a great point. Are kids playing enough outside? Are they playing street? A lot of people don't get out. And you know what? Part of it's paranoia and part of it that they're playing the video games. You know, mm-hmm. they got what they call nature deficit disorder. You know, I remember when we were kids, we had a forest near us. All the kids just ran around through the forest. Now, you know, way far away from home. No phones. We are digging pits. Sometimes we get beaten up by the older kids. The You're guys playing are- stickball with Larry King. <laughs> we did play stickball. That's right. No, but I will tell you, the Geislers, I remember, you know, they dug a pit called The Pit, aptly named, in the forest, which I fell into. They were older, and we were terrified of the Geislers. <laughs> but it, it did teach you stuff, and, yeah. and it allowed you to grow. I. My uh, my oldest two are now uh, <laughs> they're now in high school and middle school. They missed the bus, and I I said to them, I kept saying, "You missed the bus. You're going to be forced to take the city bus." My oldest daughter cried when I dropped her off, and it's a it's a one one bus ride straight to the school. Do you think we're raising and, soft and kids because of yeah, it? I think we are, and and I'm not saying I'm yeah I'm a bit more loose than you. But I know that myself, my wife, like people are well, more you've, you've uptight. You've got four. I've only got two. I, See, that's so the difference. I'm, you have, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, you, you, for you, it's easy going, you know? So, but my daughter freaked out. She hated taking the city bus. You know what it taught her? Don't be late for the school bus anymore. She's, she hasn't missed it. It is true. They got to learn on their own. I will say this. Before I had kids, I, I was with a parent who had three kids. And, you know, I didn't understand parenting. And the kids came up from the basement and said, you know, mommy, my, you know, so-and-so was complaining. He hit mm. me. And she said this, if there's blood, call me. Otherwise, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> and now you get it. And I, uh, and that I realized. <laughs> so that that's our line. That when there's blood, call. Otherwise, it's okay. Uh, I know you got to run and uh, and get back to your kids I got to check up on them. <laughs> but I, I got to ask you. Yeah. You're not Irish, but everyone is Irish on St. Patrick's Day. How do you celebrate? Like, Because to me, that's part of my culture. But how do people that aren't celebrate? I'm asking well, everyone today. All right. Well, first of all, let me g- give you a surprise in my Irish. My grandmother is Esther Cavan from the Cavan clan from Cavan County, Ireland. Very nice. Right? They were all Cavans. Then American, ended up marrying a Canadian and moving here. My wife is Tammy Quinn. Quinn, the Quinn yep. clan, still have a big clan in Belfast. Very Irish folks, okay? So they're, they're, they're the Belfast Irish. I, I may have dated one of her relatives, but <laughs> that's a story for off, probably, the, off the radio. You may, you may well have. So, But my wife's in Timmins right now, so she's not here. And I, I was saying earlier, so she's gone, so I'm not wearing green. So I'm going to take one of my kids and his buddy out to dinner, maybe to a place like Fat Boys, and we'll celebrate. With some, they can have some green whatever, and I'll have a green beer. All right, Not Evan bad. Solomon, thanks Where, so how, much. Are you celebrating? Uh, you know, I'm, I might be out for a drink. Like, I've got, uh, I've got eight o'clock. I've got um, Gavin DeCorville coming in with whiskey, and we're going to talk Irish whiskey. I can see the whiskey already. No, there's no. <laughs> thanks, man. Thank you. Oh, the chopper. <laughs> I, lo- I, I love the smell of parenting in the morning. I'm Brian Lilly <laughs> with Evan Solomon. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Uh, well, I didn't plan this out too well, did you? You're getting a double shot of that Evan dude on my show because um, 
This is the time of the day where I try and bring you the best of the interviews that you hear on other parts of the station. But maybe you miss them because we can't all listen all day, every day. There's a story of a dog that was thought lost at sea that I am just loving. And on Ottawa now today, they had Sandy Dominic, I believe is her name, Naval Public Affairs Officer, about this dog found on this strange island off the coast of um, California near the San Diego area. Fishermen pulling in lobster traps, looks at one minute, dog's there, looks another minute, dog's not there, lost for, he thought the dog was gone. And then it was found. Here's the story. What happened? How did Luna get rescued? So, now, the fi- so she was missing for five weeks. And during that five weeks, the mission of San Clemente Island, which is a training installation where we do offshore and onshore bombardment, which is all bombs and bullets, um, was going on during the entire five weeks. And we also had some pretty heavy El Nino storms, which probably saved her life because we have to barge in our water. Um, but during all of that time, she managed to survive, and on Tuesday morning, some of our San Clemente Island staff were on their way to work, and they see a German Shepherd puppy sitting on the side of the road. And they were all pretty shocked because there are no domestic animals on the island, and someone realized pretty quickly, oh, my God, it has to be the dog. It has to be the dog. And they called her over, and there she was. She has very distinctive blue eyes, so they were able to identify her as Luna the missing dog. Our wildlife biologist there on the island, Melissa Booker, checked her out. And aside from being a a little thin, she was in perfectly good health. No injuries, no cactus needles inside of her paws or her skin, um, no broken bones, no sprains. She was in in good shape. So they checked her out. And then we flew her uh, off the island yesterday afternoon to Naval Base Coronado's Uh, North Island, and reunited her with her owner's best friend, uh, Connor Lamb. Her owner, Nick, was actually out of state working. He's a commercial fisherman and a student at SDSU, and he is going to um, come and get her from Connor uh, late tonight or early tomorrow morning. Amazing story. I'm speaking with Sandy Dominique from the Public Affairs Officer for the Naval Base in Coronado. Tell us about how far offshore was Luna when she somehow slipped off the boat? She was about two miles offshore. Two miles offshore. And and now, there's fishing in this area, but as you say, there's also naval bombing testing. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like, it's almost unbelievable. So I guess we can assume that Luna, they looked for her for two days, she's somewhere two miles offshore, and she swims to shore? She swam to shore, and the area that she was at, so the area that she came onto the island was the south side of the island, and it's very rocky. It's a lot of cliffs. It's very difficult to get to the water from there. So she had quite the um, the area to traverse. Um, it was it was not it was it was the area that she actually came onto the island is an active bombardment range. So there is a chance as we write the movie script together for yes. this, right? Because this is what it is, right? You know right. that. Right? Like Luna's movie rights have been bought. The fish <laughs> boat. You, you, got, you know this is happening, right? So right. she's swimming to shore. It's dark. And then all of a sudden, bomb, 
the Navy is, I mean, I'm laughing only because thank God she's safe, but there's a chance she could have been in the middle of a, literally bombing ra- runs. Correct. And because of, because she's a German shepherd, um, our biologists surmise that the reason they couldn't see her anywhere is because she blended in to the right. topography and we just didn't see her. So now, now let me just go back to this bombing thing. Mm-hmm. Is this for real? I mean, I know it's a naval training base, and I, and I understand. No, it's for real. But what kind of, what level, I mean, how close was she to the places where literally bombs are going off? What, what, what kind of bombs are we, ordinances are we talking about here? So the, the, there are different ranges, but um, the type of, of bombing that, that we do out there is um, by, by aircraft. Um, so we'll drop bombs. Uh, we'll actually fire ordnance from ships on the coast. I've actually sat in a bunker and wa- and I'm I'm wearing a helmet and a Kevlar vest and I'm in a bunker and I'm watching navy ships, aircraft and helos um bomb the shore. And it's loud. It's real. There's dirt flying everywhere. I mean it is it's a dangerous place. And, we, and and then the dog could be there. Luna could have been there. And yep. how far from where you're do, the Navy is doing this bombing did was the, are the fishermen fishing? In other words, how far from that? So it's sort of two miles from where the bombs are, the commercial fishermen are fishing, and Luna makes that journey. Yep. Holy smoke. So then what? So she survives the, the, the seas. Yep. She swims. She gets to the high cliffs, which are not inviting. Then all of a sudden, the, you know, she survives potentially the bombing. Thanks a lot. Welcome home. And this is, you know, I'll tell you, things have changed in your country. You didn't treat Lassie this way, but poor old Luna, I'll tell you. Anyway, so yeah, so, so she survived. Then what happens to it? Now she's on land and you're bombing the crap out of it. What does she have to go through then? So she, she survived in some pretty, so the area is very rocky and there's cactus everywhere. Oh, my God. And there are no domesticated animals. We, tr- you know, we barge in our fresh water. And then she's she's had to live through. I can't remember if it's two or three, but we had some pretty significant El Nino storms during that time. So then this is this is El Nino, yep. the cactuses. And where does she get fresh water? Maybe she, from the we, El Nino. Maybe yep, that's right. We think that that's that's how she got it. That there were puddles because it's the springtime. Um, that that that's how she survived. And and this is a lot of guesswork. We do we we um so we have some pretty um, robust environmental programs out there on the island as well, right? We bomb the island, but we also have several endangered species that we work with out there. And uh, our biologists had to check Luna's scat. Um, for people who don't know, we yeah. checked her poo. We okay. dug through so, her poo. So what'd you find? What did she eat? It looks like she was um, living on um, mice and um, fish. Probably dead fish that had um, uh, washed up on shore. So we think that she'd probably stayed pretty close to the shore over there and just blended in with the uh, topography. It's an incredible story. It is. And when Luna's when, a survivor, she and, she's a Navy SEAL, <laughs> right? Like, so, like, can you just give her the Navy SEAL? Doesn't she pass the Navy SEAL test when you survive the lost at sea? The bombardment, the El Nino storms, the high cliffs, then you have to wade through cactuses, forage for food, and find your owner. 
with no phone, don't you just become the first canine naval seal? Don't we just, can't we do something about this, please? So we actually, so our naval seals actually work with canines on a regular basis. Um, They do some of the most dangerous work in the military. So we're all like, you know, we're all, we're all pretty much pet people, but a survivor like Luna has a really special place in our hearts, especially the people that work on the island who know what she lived through. So we were trying to think of something appropriate, and we noticed that on her collar, her actual dog tag had gone missing. Uh-huh. So what our skipper did was gave her a military dog tag, and it has four lines on it. The first line is her name, Luna. The second line is keep the faith, which is the motto of our uh, seer school, which I'll explain in a minute, and then the dates that she was missing in then San Clemente Island. So she had a memento of her adventures. Uh, that's amazing. So there'll be a long-standing relationship now between Luna and the naval base. I can't imagine that it wouldn't happen because I definitely told Connor that I better get pictures um, <laughs> on a regular basis. Now, do you remember, I don't know if you read the book. The book was extraordinary. The movie, less so, but still. The, one of the best books I read, it was a bestseller for years, was called Unbroken, which was the story of the World War II uh, soldier and Olympic sprinter, the American Louis Zamperini. It was made into a, a film called Unbroken, and he survives this incredible journey, shark-infested waters, 47 days in a life Oh, raft. yeah. Right, the Unbroken. And, you know, it is an amazing book. By the way, if you haven't read Unbroken, I think it's one of the most extraordinary books I've ever read about a real hero. But, gosh, this darn dog reminds me. I mean, I don't want to listen. Louis Zamperini is an incredible war hero right. and survived torture. I'm not comparing. But what this dog went through, he's kind of unbreakable he's he's unbroken he ne- the dog luna never gives up right and that's why we gave her the the dog tag with the motto keep the faith so fear is a uh, search evasion rescue um and escape and it's the training that anyone in the military will go through who has the potential to be taken as a pow and we teach wow. them to keep the faith and to know that we'll always look and mm-hmm. For Luna to survive the way that she did, we thought it was fitting to to uh, give her the dog tag with the motto, Keep the Faith. What a story. I'm not sure my dogs would survive like a day in the wild. That well, Maybe they would surprise me. Like my kids, maybe the dogs would surprise me as well. They've got more in them than I thought. One of them, by the way, is because um, when you mention you have dogs, people always say, what kind? Uh, one is a Black Lab uh, Retriever Cross, and the other is a West Highland Terrier. That's the one that would actually survive. Can't swim very far. That's Maggie. Maggie cannot swim very far, so she'd have trouble in the water. But Max is a good swimmer. But Maggie, I mean, West Highland Terriers were designed to ferret out rodents in those little stone walls that you see when you see movies of, of Scotland or Ireland. You know, those stone walls that separate the tiny little farms, the sustenance farms that they lived on? That was their job. Keep the the mice and the badgers and everything else away. So they're vicious little dogs, and they can live on anything. Now I'm going to sit here and ponder, what about my dogs? But don't go away. Coming up, the author of Canadian Whiskey, the portable expert, Davin DeCorgamo, is in the building. But we're mostly going to be talking about Irish whiskey. He may have brought something for me to sample this St. Patrick's Day. I'm Brian Lilly, Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I think James is an English band. Most places you're hearing Irish bands today, or at least pretend Irish music as you go around the capital. And, well, we don't have that, but we do have some Irish whiskey. Davin de Kergamo is a whiskey expert who is, I, I met him several years ago, had him on my old TV show, when he wrote the book Canadian Whiskey, the Portable Expert, and he brought in some fantastic Canadian whiskeys that I'd never tried before, some I'd never heard of, others I'd heard of, and you, you know, you look at the bottle and you think, do I really want to try that? But he writes not only on Canadian whiskeys, but whiskey around the world. And if you follow me on Twitter, you would have found his piece that he put up earlier today, Five Myths About Irish Whiskey. We'll get into that in a minute, but Davin, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me again, Brian. It's, uh, well, I, you can't have St. Patrick's Day without whiskey. That, that's my view, anyway. Well, I think that's pretty well a universally held <laughs> view, don't you think? <laughs> well, there are still people that do not like the water of life. Well, I don't know who they are, but uh, by golly. <laughs> so we'll get into the, the bottle that you've brought here. It's called Writer's Tears. It's an Irish whiskey, and I want to talk a bit about the differences. Are there differences between Irish, Scotch, American whiskey, Canadian, and in what people should look for? Um, but... Um, but fill me in on, on where you got your love of whiskey. Well, it's quite interesting. Um, my doctor told me I should be drinking a little bit every day because it would <laughs> really? be good for my health. He said a little bit. I said, well, I don't like red wine. And he said, it doesn't have to be wine, red wine. It's the alcohol that gives you the benefit. Don't drink too much. But every day, take a couple of little sips. And I said, well, I like whiskey. So I started drinking whiskey and really started drinking whiskey pretty much every day, just one or two drams a day. And... Um, from there, you know, I got really interested in scotch and then got into single malts. And next thing you know, I was looking at all the different Canadian whiskeys. They're about a fifth the price of scotch whiskey for the same quality. And, uh, you know, I've been over to Ireland to tour the, uh, dist- the distillery where they make um, Jameson's, which is the, you know, the best-selling Irish whiskey in the world. And it's just as one thing after. I mean, I do this full-time now. I travel all over the place. This is your job. This is my it job. It is having a dram or two a day. And then writing about it. How, yes. how can I get that job? <laughs> well, you <laughs> Are know, you retiring? I, I, I didn't apply for it, Brian. <laughs> it, it came to me. I just began writing about whiskey and struck a chord with some people. Now and, you write uh, for Whiskey Magazine, <clears throat> Whiskey Advocate. You've got your own website, which if, if people want to follow it and they can get tasting notes on Canadian whiskey and all kinds of others, it's CanadianWhiskey.org, and that's Whiskey, W H I S. K-Y. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I, have you bought the other one with the E-Y and forwarded it yet? Uh, I can't remember. I have about a dozen URLs <laughs> that I am I have just so somebody else can't, you know, yeah. take it from me. But I, I don't know if I've got so that one or not. Your doctor told you to get into whiskey. Yeah, his parking lot is full, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, do- well, Dr. Barry's parking lot's full, but I, I'm not sure he's ever given me that advice. So l- let's... Uh, you started out with scotch, and were you ever a scotch snob? I meet a lot of people, and they're scotch snobs. Well, they'll only drink single malt. It doesn't necessarily mean that they know anything else about what they're drinking, but they'll only drink single malt, and they won't touch Canadian, and they won't touch American, and they won't touch Irish. I, I like it all. I'm not a bigot. Well, I think I probably very briefly went through a period of being a scotch snob, but no, 
I'm not a Scotch snob, and I love all kinds of whiskey. Now, let's not kid ourselves. There's some wonderful single malt scotches out there. There are some wonderful Irish whiskeys, like, like Irish whiskey that really is really quite so so beautiful. You know, Canadian whiskey is great. I love bourbon. I love American bourbon. Now, there's some wonderful whiskey coming out of India, Amrit whiskey from India, yep. and there's some wonderful whiskey coming from. From Taiwan, Cadillac, Japan makes great whiskey. You know, all these whiskeys. Well, yes, I was a little bit of a Scotch snob, but I, you know, we kept meeting people who would say, try this, try this, try this. And we used to always, you know, test each other, tasting whiskeys without knowing what they were. So we could really assess them and not let the label affect us too much. And so, yeah, there are some great whiskeys. I've been told by uh, the guys over (coughs) at the Highlander, I think Nelson in particular, that, um, the uh, yeah, pour a wee dram of the writer's tears. You're having a coffee. Yeah, having here. a coffee. So, yeah. um, that that uh, I've really got to try these these Indian whiskeys sometime. Oh yeah, now, they're fabulous. L- before we get off on a tangent about that, let's um, let's talk about the Irish whiskey. One of the reasons that I like it compared to others, and the reasons I've gravitated towards that over the last while, is it has a, a sweetness to it. And an easy drinking element that I I don't find necessarily in a lot of scotches. There's a lot of scotch that is very smoky, very peaty, and, and not that there isn't there aren't those elements in this, but this just seems easier to to sit back and sip and enjoy. Well, I have to agree with you on that. And a lot of people think that Irish whiskey is quite light because some of it is just as some scotch is light and some Canadian whiskey is light and so on. But the way they make Irish whiskey, um, I mean, they make single malt whiskey there and they make, you know, the standard blends and so on. But what Ireland is best known for is called pure pot whiskey or pure pot still whiskey. It's a whiskey made using malted barley, but also unmalted barley. And you you just tasted that Mm -hmm. writer's tears, so you know that's got a bit of a nuttiness to it. That comes from the unmalted barley, and it's got a smoothness, a silkiness to it. So it just kind of runs down your throat. It's a beautiful, beautiful whiskey. Okay. You you said nuttiness, and I taste whiskey or I taste wine. If there's nuttiness or berries, I can taste that. But I I often don't understand the tasting notes when they'll tell me, you're tasting licorice and leather. What? No, I'm not. (laughs) Maybe my palate's not refined enough, but... What what am I looking for? What am I tasting with this? Well, you're not you're not looking for really bold flavors with this whiskey. This, the, which, with we're this, we're wh- sipping on Writer's Tears, a pot still Irish whiskey, uh, which has become quite popular lately. Yeah, it's re- it's really good whiskey. I really very much enjoy it. Uh, what are we What are we looking for in this? I think the first thing to look for in Irish whiskey is the way it feels in your mouth. You feel that silkiness. Mm-hmm. You feel that. Now, you, you, there are no real dominant notes, but you can feel, yes, you can, something's not, it's more like hazelnuts than peanuts or something like that. And you, and there's, there are flavors that are, well, I could say malty, but malty doesn't really mean much to most people. It's a sort of a cereal flavor. It tastes like, like unsweetened cereal, like, not shredded. Cheerios. But, uh, uh, well, oats, Cheerios, yeah. The, the, the ones, not the honey nut Cheerios. The, Odi- the other ones. The oatiness. Yeah. So, so but she, there's a nice, uh, I don't want to call it a burn, but a nice warmth across the ton as you sit and, and sip it. Yes, there's a lot of warmth. And you, can you feel like a little bit of pepperiness mm-hmm. on the front? But it's not a lot. Yeah. It's just a little bit of 
pepper on the front, and there's there's almost some bitterness, but it's bitter like like dark chocolate or something. Not that it tastes like chocolate, but it, it's a pleasant pleasant kind of bitterness. It, it makes your mouth feel moist. You know, you, you salivate a little bit, you want a little bit more. But so, yeah, it's whiskey, so I want more. But you're not tasting alcohol with this. No, and so unlike, say, um, vodka or some other harsh, this is not harsh at all. No, I don't I don't like the descriptor smooth for whiskey because it's, it's almost a cliche, but if any whiskey is smooth, this one is. It feels good and it slides down your throat. All right, I, this is Brian Lilly on Beyond the News. I'm speaking with uh, Davin de Kergamo. He is the author of Canadian Whiskey, the Portable Expert, but as you're hearing, an expert on Irish whiskey as well. When we come back, we're going to get into these five myths, including the... EY versus Y spelling of whiskey and have lots of fun. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. St. Patrick's Day edition of Beyond the News. So we're talking whiskey, and Davin DeCurgamo is my guest. Um, you can pick up his book, Canadian Whiskey, The Portable Expert. I'm going to ask you about the book in a minute because there's sure. some great stories, including some great Eastern Ontario stories in there <laughs> of the origins of the Canadian whiskey industry. But let's go through your five myths about Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey is not peated. People will say that because a lot of scotch has a heavy peat flavor. It tastes like it came out of a bog. And they assume Irish whiskey is not, but you say not true? Well, people say that Irish whiskey is not peated, and some of it isn't, but some of it is as well. And traditionally, Irish whiskey always was peated. It's only, you know, when they developed other fuels other than peat that they stopped using it to dry the malt, and so they stopped having uh, so much peated whiskey. But way out and cut the turf, boy. Cut the turf. Cut the turf, absolutely. Yeah. By golly. Connemara, peated Irish whiskey made today. It's still there. Oh, yeah. They're still making peated whiskey today. Absolutely. Lots of it. Irish whiskey is triple distilled. Now, is this one triple distilled, Writer's Tears? Let's see. Um, Yep, triple distilled. But you're saying some are, some aren't? Some are, and some are not. Triple distillation is not unique to Ireland. We do it in Canada. They do it in Scotland. Well, well I, I, was, I was telling you about one of my favorite scotches is Auchentoshan. It's made right near Glasgow, where my family is, and it's triple distilled. Triple distilled. So, uh, it, but some of them are triple distilled, some aren't, but it's the same in every country. So that's not a distinguishing feature of Irish whiskey. All right. You say um, the Irish did not necessarily develop distilling. I didn't know they ever claimed this. <clears throat> well, it depends how many whiskeys they've had. If they've had seven <laughs> or eight, they're going to claim it. I'm amazed the Scots didn't claim it because if you've heard the poem was like us, uh-huh. damn few in their deed, the Scots, they do have some legitimate claims to inventing the modern world. But I haven't heard the, even them claim they, dist- they they invented distilling. Yeah, they invented the modern world. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, steam engine and telephone and uh, the, yeah. you know, television. I know, Alexander that. Graham Bell invented the uh, telephone in Canada and, uh, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, no, I think that uh, they, they say that there were Irish uh, missionaries who came back from the Far East and brought the skills for a distillation from there where it had been going on for quite some time. We see now that there's prob- there probably was a distillation happening in uh, uh, 
Mesopotamia. There were, we know that they were making wine, and there's evidence that they were making brandy in, in Egypt. So this it, it, it happened other places long before it ever happened. So in, who, who invented whiskey then? I'm not sure who invented whiskey. I, I'm betting there's a lot of arguments around that in a pub late at night. I bet you there are, and I'll bet you, Buck, that's something to which the Irish probably could lay claim. Did they, uh, well, before I get to that, the E versus, E-Y versus Y. Canadian whiskey is spelt W-I-S-K-Y, almost exclusively, correct? Almost exclusively, not entirely. I was at an old distiller's house, and he brought out a bottle of Seagram's VO, and it was spelled W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. But but normally you say, uh, well, Scotch and Canadian whiskey is K-Y, and Irish and American is E-Y. That, that's what most people say, yes. But it, there used to be a couple of hundred distilleries in, in Ireland, and they spelled it both ways, equally, either way. But it was only when the, the distilling industry really compressed in Ireland, and they were, there was only one distiller left in all of Ireland. They had two distilleries, only one distiller, and they decided they were going to spell it EY. And so since then, that, that's what and we've grown up with. And that was the 1970s. That, yes. <laughs> that's what we've grown up so, with, so that's what we believe. But it, it's not the case. In my lifetime. Uh, and a quick answer on this, then I want to ask you about Canadian distillers. Did the Irish bring whiskey making to Canada? They did not. They may have distilled here, but the the original settlers, when they came to Canada, they made rum. They weren't interested in whiskey. They wanted alcohol. And, of course, the East was settled first, and as long as they could get molasses from the Caribbean, it was a whole lot cheaper and a whole lot easier to make alcohol from molasses. So, no, they didn't make whiskey. Newfoundland screech. There, there you, you go. go. Yep. <laughs> I, I learned about the trading triangle with, uh, J- uh, they, they eat sod, um, cod, salt, salted cod in Jamaica still, mm-hmm. and uh, they drink rum in Newfoundland. That was the trade. We'll give you fish, you give us booze, yeah. or molasses at least for it. So your book, Canadian Whiskey, The Portable Expert, the reason that I love it is that it's one of these books that you can just go back to, crack it open at a page, and you're reading about a different character because you tell the stories of these early pioneers. And there's several that were in the eastern Ontario area, Prescott and so on, that started distilleries. Some of them grew very large, but they were they normally had a good story with them. Oh, yeah. These were characters. These were real characters, the original whiskey barons. You know, For instance, J.P. Weiser, he bought... Well, his boss bought Charles Payne's distillery in Prescott and sent Weiser in there to manage it. Weiser managed to edge Payne out, bought the distillery from his boss, and turned it into Weiser's. So Weiser's has roots in Prescott Prescott? at the bottom of the 416 here. Absolutely, and there's not one single trace of Weiser left there. But unless you go to Upper Canada Village where you can see the old uh, um, uh, windows from his house. Stained glass windows. And I think it was in your book that I learned about Hiram Walker taking a barge across from Detroit (laughs) to his distillery in in Windsor. Because we all think a Canadian club, which is Hiram Walker, Mm -hmm. Canadian club is a good Canadian whiskey. But the owner lived in Detroit. He lived in Detroit, but it was about a 10-minute walk from the Detroit River from his house to the Detroit River from his house. He built his own ferry, and he took the ferry across the river. Worked all day at the distillery, took the ferry back, you know. So he lived in the States the whole time. He had two or three years he lived in Canada. The rest of the time he lived in America. What, uh, what's your favorite story of, uh, of the whiskey baron that's, that people can find in the book? 
that people can find in the book. Well, I really love the stories of Harry Hatch. Harry Hatch was a, he was a little bit of a shady guy, and he sold whiskey through a network in the United States. He worked for Corby Distilleries, and he he did just landmark business for Corby's, and he had said he was promised to sh- that he would have a share in the business if he did well enough in his sales. Well, he r- figured he was selling more whiskey than anybody else and everybody else combined selling Corby's. He needed his par- partnership in the business, and they said, oh, we never made that deal. So Corby left, and he bought Gooderum and Warts, turned that into a real going concern because it was going bankrupt during mm-hmm. Prohibition. Then he bought Hiram Walker Distillery, <laughs> and uh, then he bought Corby's. <laughs> All right. Here's why I love these stories. And the, the stories of the Seagram's family are uh, are oh, amazing boy, yeah. as well. Those are legendary. Devin DeCorgamo is the author of Canadian Whiskey, also an expert on Irish whiskey. Thanks for coming in today. Brian, thanks for having me. Good seeing you again. All right. Now, I'm gonna right. We're going to go to news, and Devin and I are going to finish our wee drams here. Back with Evan Solomon after the break. On the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Last night, you heard me on the air with Ottawa City Councillor and longtime Canadian Forces, uh, what longtime? He was a 20 year veteran of Canadian Forces, Jody Medic. And he was in because um, Medic was taking a task in the media uh, for tweeting out a picture of his guns. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, neither could he as we sat in the studio last night and talked. You know, I've had several members of my family killed by drunk drivers, but, you know, I don't blame the cars, right? It's the drivers that are bad. Mm-hmm. Same thing at Jasmine Crescent. Hey, man, I you know, I feel bad for the victims, but, you know... Criminals are the ones shooting the guns, not not law-abiding registered owners, you know. And and to say that that someone's a bad leader because they're a gun owner, I think is a is a real stretch. All right, joining me now to talk more about this issue of um, gun owners, how they're treated in the media, and whether you know gun owners should ever actually let people know they own guns is Solomon Friedman. By the way, Solomon's a lawyer, so he can sue you if you do anything wrong to him, and. I'm pretty sure he's already told people he owns guns. Solomon, welcome to the program. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, is that bad that I told people you own guns? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest problems facing gun owners is the stigma that's been pushed on them uh, from many circles, including from many levels of government. And I think it's time for gun owners to stand up and come out of the closet, as it were, and say, we're not doing anything wrong. In fact, we're productive, law-abiding, contributing members of society. That was something that struck me as odd during this whole thing. And, and you've got a column in today's Sun saying linking Middick's love of guns to crime is a misfire. Kudos on you for writing it and putting it out there and uh, and making sure that, that people understand there's nothing wrong with, with a, a city councilor owning guns. But I kept hearing it, and the worst example I saw was on the state broadcaster's um, local television station, and that's all I'll say about them. Uh, just appalled but but sir you're a civic leader and i thought so what 
guns are guns are legal. It's not. Hey, I own three crack pipes. Come on over. You know what, Brian? I think it actually it goes one step beyond that. It's not just that it's okay that you own guns. When somebody comes out and says, I am a licensed law-abiding gun owner, they have now self-identified as being one of two million of the most heavily background-checked and scrutinized Canadians in this country. That is to say, they have passed a rigorous background check that if most public servants were presented with at the time of their employment, they would turn down the job and walk out the door. So it's not just, I'm, don't worry, I'm okay, even though I own guns. It's the fact that I'm a licensed gun owner should give you all the comfort in the world that I am law-abiding and responsible, more, more so than the average individual. So the, um, I love the story that you open up with, by the way, of the... Um the drunk looking for his keys. This is how Solomon Friedman opens up his columns about the drunk looking for his keys. And um, the police officer stops and asks if he can help. And he says, well, did you lose your keys here? No, I lost them at the park down the street. Well, why are you looking for them here? Because that's where the light is. And too often that's the way it is with the way police treat law-abiding gun owners is they don't know how to deal with what happens on Jasmine Crescent. They don't know how to deal with what happens at Jane and Finch. They don't know how to deal with what happens in Surrey in the Vancouver suburbs. But it's like, hey, we know how to target the guys who will follow the rules if we tell them to. Is that what you're getting at? You know, I, that, that's, that's it exactly. And it's, it's, it's precisely because gun owners are such a law-abiding population that politicians know that they make convenient whipping boys. Because first of all, there's a list of them. Every gun owner who has a license has volunteered, whether they like it or not, to be on a government list of gun owners. So when it comes time to, for compliance, the government knows exactly where to find you. But, but even more than that, firearms owners are pro-social, law-abiding individuals. They will comply with whatever onerous regulations and laws the government piles upon them. So when a politician wants to be seen to be being tough on gun crime... All they need to do is pass some more laws and more regulations, hold a press conference, and make the life of some law-abiding gun owner just that much more difficult, and they can point to it as a success. Because the problems of gang violence are exactly as, as you identified them. They are difficult, they are dirty, and they are dangerous. And often they're expensive. So why bother pouring the resources into tackling the root causes of crime when you can go off on a tirade against a city councillor like our chief of police did, uh, citing all sorts of uh, erroneous information, and the public will say, well, there's someone who's tough on gun crime. Good for him. And, of course, you've, uh, you've done absolutely nothing to alleviate the problem that's, that's plaguing some of Ottawa's communities. And, and let's point something out here, Solomon. You're a defense lawyer. I am. You could end up defending some of these guys. I do. Yeah. You, you defend bad guys sometimes. I defend people accused of uh, some pretty awful things sometimes. Yeah. And, and so you're still saying... The police chief should be focused on the bad guys and not on the law-abiding. Well, I, you know, like, I'm, like all my fellow defense lawyers, we wish we lived in a society free of crime and we'd find some other occupation. But, you know, despite that, we are very, very much focused on whether it's in terms of advocacy, um, in terms of public policy, doing what we can, can to focus the public's attention on attacking the root causes of crime. So when it comes to gang violence, you know, I'm, I'm certain that I'm not the only defense lawyer who points to issues like cultural alienation and poverty and drug trafficking and drug abuse and mental illness um, and, and uh, lack of educational and social opportunities um, in terms of why people, why young people specifically in these neighborhoods turn to gangs. 
It certainly has nothing to do with the fact that Jody Middick has a pair of brand-new, beautiful semi-automatic handguns, one for him and one for his wife. I bet that when you saw that picture, and you probably didn't see it till the sun ran the story about it, uh, I bet that when you saw that picture, your first thought wasn't, oh, that's going to cause a gangster to shoot another gangster. Your first thought was, sweet, a three twenty. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, you know, people who have some amount of knowledge, and you don't need to be a firearms law expert to, uh, to not live in ignorance about firearms, knows the difference between law-abiding citizens who own firearms uh, within the bounds of the system and people who will never respect any number of gun laws despite, you know, the pronouncements of, of, of politicians. And, and, you know, I was really shocked when I read that column in The Sun, but I was even more shocked when I read the tweets by our chief of police and the chair of the police services board. Because, you know, a columnist gets things wrong, and that's why I wrote my column very respectfully. I like Susan Sharing. I like what she writes. She got it wrong, so uh, I was happy to hopefully offer a countervailing perspective. But Chief Charles Bordelow is somebody who the city pays a lot of money to make the biggest decisions when it comes to law enforcement. And for him to miss the boat so dramatically here, I think should be a matter of great concern for Ottawa's residents. Well, and as we've been hearing on the airwaves all week, as Chief Bordelow and Matt Scoff from the police union continue to trade verbal blows, they have their own issues to deal with that might be a little bit bigger than this. You know, you would think that anybody's issues would be bigger than dealing with a law-abiding citizen legally purchasing property. And that's really where it finishes. Whether you buy a Ferrari or a chainsaw or a semi-automatic handgun, if you are uh, within the realm of legal ownership, it's, it's nobody's concern. And you know what I found actually really quite uh, difficult, and I pointed this out in my column, was that Chief of Police Bordalo said, as if he had some basis in fact for this, that uh, Jody Middick announcing he owns firearms is somehow going to put him at risk for crime. Uh, I find that problematic because the government of Canada studied that very subject, and the statistical conclusion was that there is absolutely no greater risk for firearms owners of burglary or other violent crime. Of course, you can imagine all sorts of reasons why you'd actually uh, be in the opposite group, that people would be less likely to target firearms owners. But for Charles Bordelow to simply put that out there with absolutely no basis in reality, as if it's some commonly accepted fact, is is very troubling. That's what you can do when you're on the anti-gun side. You don't need fact. And on our side, we need to read to lead. And we need to have facts on our side because otherwise we'll get picked apart. Um, so, but, but on the anti-gun side, and I've tried this with Wendy Kukier from the Canadian Coalition for Gun Control. Uh, she keeps saying that we need a gun registry and we need to bring it back. And she was at one of the Supreme Court rulings where they said Quebec, Quebec had no right to the federal long gun registry data. And she said, well, we know that this keeps us safer. And I pointed out to her that Quebec neighbor, Quebec's neighboring state, Vermont, which has similar settlement patterns, uh, it has, uh, but also has the freest gun laws in the United States of America. A lot of Canadians don't realize that one of the easiest places to buy a gun legally in the United States is Vermont. And their murder rate is lower than Quebec's normally. And Quebec has some of the strictest rules for getting guns. So it's not a gun registry or strict gun control that uh, that is going to keep people safe necessarily. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, when you look at the sort of the centers of uh, American gun crime, places like Chicago, Chicago has tougher gun controls than Canada does. 
and it is, you know, up there in the murder capitals of, of the United States. But, you know, when you don't have facts on your side and your only appeal is to emotion and is to rhetoric, you know, you often avoid getting into debates over the facts. Well, you know, over the years, since 2012, that was the last time when I debated on radio with a gun control advocate. I've had an open invitation held out uh, <laughs> since that time, and not a one has taken me up on it. Because they know that when you look at the empirical research, and of course, we now have a liberal government that happily trumpets a line about evidence-based policy. Of course, that's not going to be the case when it comes to firearms. But when you look at the empirical evidence, you look at the statistical research, it, you know, it becomes very clear. Imposing onerous restrictions on the law-abiding does absolutely nothing to restrain the behavior of the lawless. It's common sense, and it is the product of decades of statistical research. I've got to ask you this before I let you go, Solomon. Quebec is in the middle of uh, bringing about a gun registry. Uh, Liberal Premier Philip Couillard has said, because there's actually, people don't realize how often uh, there are um, uh, how often there are. Sorry, we just had Chief Bordalo call in. By the sounds of it, um, not sure if he wants to go on air. Does he want to go on air with Solomon? Okay, I'll talk to him off air, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll go to him after. But um, people people do not realize that um, there's a big gun culture in Quebec. There was pushback against the gun registry in Quebec, and now. They've actually said we've, we're going to impose a whipped vote to bring it in. It happens the same day. That there's a bunch of politicians busted for corruption. We may as well say we need a politician registry. <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes to gun registries, I think your starting point has to be that a registry will register the firearms in the hands of the law-abiding. It may come as a shock to some politicians, and particularly in Quebec, but our local gangsters and people who do not respect the law are not going to be lining up at the police station to register their semi-automatic handguns that have been smuggled in illegally from other jurisdictions. So when you realize that your gun registry is going to leave out by its very design uh, the vast majority of guns that are problematic, you ask yourself, can a place like Quebec, and we know about the fiscal woes that Quebec is facing, can it afford to pour millions and millions of dollars down the drain to simply have a list of law-abiding people and the guns that they use peaceably? And the answer, of course, is no, but when uh, you're looking at it from a uh, often illogical and irrational perspective, you come to a different conclusion. All right, Solomon Friedman, thanks so much. I'm, I'm, stick around. I, I'm going to bring uh, talk to Chief Bordelo off air for a minute, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Solomon Friedman is a defense lawyer and firearms expert, joining us by phone here from Ottawa. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRS. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I had a quick chat with uh, Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordalo off air. He just wanted to correct the record and um, say he was not out there tweeting about this issue of Councillor Medic and his guns that he had been giving an interview with Sue Sharing from the Ottawa Sun about what's going on on Jasmine Crescent and was asked about Councillor Middick's tweet. Now, I'll read out for the record his full comments. He said, there are laws that govern lawful gun ownership. There's storage laws that exist. 
I'm not against legitimate collectors, but they've got to follow the laws and having firearms in your residence increases the likelihood of your house being targeted. If you're advertising it, that's probably not the best thing to do. So I'll let uh, Solomon Friedman and Chief Bordelow work out the whole issue of the tweet, and they're both honorable men, respectful men. I'm sure they'll figure that out. Solomon, though, and, and I'll ask him to, to send me this evidence that he says the, the federal government studied the issue of whether you are more likely to be targeted if you're a law-abiding gun owner. This is something that is put out there. And I hear it said time and again, but I never see the facts on it. And you can't base facts upon your feelings. As my friend Ben Shapiro is fond of saying, the facts don't care about your feelings. Facts are that. They are facts. So if your house is more likely to be targeted, let's see the evidence on that. If not, let's stop claiming that. Chief Bordelow is not the first. He won't be the last to claim that. But let's see the evidence on it. As for how, and I don't know if this is how Chief Bordelow meant it, but the way it was framed in the entire article, it does make it sound as if he is casting casting an askance eye towards gun owners because he says, I'm not against legitimate collectors, but you've got to follow the laws. And in the context of the article and the tone that Sue Shering took with it, it's it's as if, well, maybe he's not following the laws. Councillor Middick was on yesterday, said clearly he's following the laws. If you are caught not safely and properly storing your firearms, you can face a serious term in jail, you are treated as if you are a gangster. You are treated as if you are one of these punks that story I covered several years ago. The guy was with a pistol that had 22 rounds in the magazine, I believe it was, and one in the chamber. So I believe a total of 23 rounds. That's not even a legal gun. He was facing a serious jail sentence fought it in court, had the entire mandatory minimum sentence for illegal possession of a gun thrown out. I actually disagree with that. That never should have happened, but it did. We'll have to figure that out in the future and fix that. But, you know, that would be one of the areas where if the the liberal government said we want to, to tighten up gun laws, I would back them. But let's leave the law-abiding gun owners out of it because a lot of them cheered it on because they would face the same tough sentence just for having the gun that they purchased legally, that they're licensed to own, stored improperly within their own home. There was a guy named Ian Thompson down towards Niagara Falls. He ended up waking up one weekend morning, hearing four men screaming at him, that they were going to kill him, that they were going to burn down his house with him inside of it. And then they started throwing Molotov cocktails at his home, and his home caught on fire. Ian Thompson was a former firearms instructor. He went to his gun safe, pulled out one of his guns, and fired warning shots at these guys. They ran away. He then called 911, he lives in the rural parts, called 911, went outside, put out his own fire, went inside and sat down, couldn't believe what had happened. He woke up with people trying to kill him, 
he ended up, and, and he had all of this on videotape because he had security cameras up around his house. He ended up facing more jail time than the people that carried out the attack on him because the cop showed up and said, your firearms aren't stored properly. Because I believe what happened was he went in and sat down at his kitchen table waiting for the cops to show up after putting out the fire that was going to burn down his house and scaring off the guys. He just sat down and went, can't believe what happened. That ain't right, my friends. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll get to your calls, your reaction to what we've been talking about tonight and more when we come back. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. What about you? What about you? It's a great Irish saying. My oldest boy asked me to do the entire show in an Irish accent. I did one a little bit earlier. That's how they would say, you know, what's going on? How are you? Up around Belfast, what about you? It's not top of the morning to you. That is not a saying. People in Lucky Charms commercials say top of the morning to you. Not real people. It doesn't happen. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to make fun of Irish accents now and again. There's a great comedian that I love to watch named Danny Boy. He is of Scottish and Indian descent. So if you see him, then you, or you hear him, then you see him. You may go, what, huh? But the man is funny. Yet despite him being Scottish, as he came to Canada and the United States at the beginning of his comedy career, he kept being mistaken for Irish, which led to little rants like this. So my name is Danny. Yes, I'm from Scotland, not Ireland. You lot seem to think I'm from Irish. When you, when you hear my accent, you go, are you Irish? I'm not Irish. It's not difficult to tell the difference between a Scottish and an Irish person. This is a Scottish person talking to you right now. Hello, how are you? Very nice to be here. <laughs> this would be an Irish person. Diddly-dee, potatoes. Did you hear that? <laughs> Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Diddly-dee-dee-dee, potatoes. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You want to have fun? You want to talk St. Patrick's Day? You want to talk Irish accents? Uh, you you want to goad me into uh, saying something in an accent? You can call in and ask me, and I may actually have that accent in my repertoire. So happy to do that for you. Accents on command on Beyond the News here on CFRA, because we're going beyond the news now. But also inviting your calls on um, the other topics that we've discussed here tonight, the Helicopter parenting, how closely do you have to watch kids? Do you give your kids freedom? Do you let your kids take the city bus? How young do you let your kids take the city bus? But I want to throw out a couple of other topics out there. Uh, As I said on uh, The Rebel earlier today, don't tell me liberals aren't corrupt. Did you hear about the big arrest, the big bust going on in Quebec? Former Deputy Premier of Quebec, Big liberal in that province, one of many, arrested today. This was a raid that took place with the anti-corruption squad in Quebec. And Robert Lafreniere is the man you're going to hear. He's head of the unit. 
He says it's unfair and unequal to use political contracts as a political tool, and it's also unacceptable to use the power of influence to favor elections. These serious charges are not only in violation of the law, but they undermine our principles of democracy and the good management of common property. Public contracts in Quebec are lucrative and are subject to strict rules designed to favor healthy competition among entrepreneurs. So, Premier Cuillard, one of the people charged today is a former Deputy Premier of Quebec. Uh, her name is uh, Nathalie Normando. Philip Cuillard, the current premier, also a liberal, but by the way, not just liberals charged, mostly but not all, and I'll get into some federal connections in a minute. Premier Cuillard comes out and says, well, you know, political financing's changed in uh, Quebec in recent years, so it's all different now. Quebec was also held up as the model for the rest of the country. Quebec was held up as where you needed, or the place we all needed to emulate, because they... They didn't allow corporate or union donations. And here people are being arrested for shady deals. What was the whole Charbonneau Commission about? The shady inner workings between politicians, unions, the construction unions specifically, organized crime, and construction companies. Everyone was taking a, a cut. They were using these big infrastructure projects to line their own pockets. But we're told, don't worry, it's all different now. We're also told this doesn't happen anywhere but Quebec, and I don't believe that. And I think that if we had a decent and aggressive press gallery beyond the likes of people such as Christina Blizzard down at Queen's Park, there would be more dirt dug up. And if we had a police force at the provincial level that was the Ontario Provincial Police instead of the Ontario Political Police, we might see more charges laid. Next story, let's talk about Justin Trudeau. I invite your calls on all of this, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You want to email me? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Next topic, is the whole issue of the American election and the Canadian election. There's a story out there. Don't tell me there isn't a, a liberal media bias in this country. It's a story. American men dropped to their knees, literally begged Justin Trudeau to run for U.S. president. This is a big story because the narrative is Americans love Justin Trudeau. Do you know how many Canadians I know that love Ted Cruz? Would you ever see a story Canadians beg Ted Cruz to come back to Canada? No. Because Ted Cruz is conservative and Republican, therefore wacky and evil in the minds of most of the media. By the way, I also happen to know a lot of Canadians that would love Donald Trump to come and run things here. If you saw that story, the people portrayed in it would be cast in a negative light, would you say? Meanwhile, Trudeau is out there and is making comments once again, claiming he's not commenting on the American election and yet doing just that. How? When he's asked about Trump, he, well, he doesn't want to comment on Donald Trump and yet he kind of does. I have tremendous confidence in, in Americans' uh, capacity to, uh, you know, get the right result through their electoral system. Mm-hmm. Get the right result, which means vote for Hillary. Do you, think that, do you think that Justin Trudeau is putting us in jeopardy in some ways? Do you think that Justin Trudeau is hurting our future ability to do business with the United States if Donald Trump ends up winning? 
This, by my count, is the third or fourth shot that he's taken at the U.S. president. The third or fourth shot. So what, what makes you think that if Trump wins, he won't hold it against Trudeau? I invite your calls on this, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Maybe you just want to call in and tell me which American candidate you'd like to come and run Canada. And final thought, and this goes to the issue of old age security. Trudeau is lowering the age back from 67. It was going to go up to 67 in 2023. Not now, not next year, 2023. Announced in 2012, so an 11-year warning. He's going to bring it back down to 65 instead of 67. But he's not going to do any other reform and says it's just about helping people and doing the right thing. Next week's budget will feature uh, that we will confirm uh, that we are keeping the uh, old retirement age at 65. Uh, because how we, uh, not raising it to 67, because how we care for our most vulnerable in society is really important. How we care for the most vulnerable. OAS is supposed to be, and it's still the stated goal of the program, to raise seniors out of poverty. Why do people making $90,000, $110,000 still qualify for checks? If you make that much money in retirement, if you make that much money out of retirement, you don't need a government handout. You are not in poverty. And if you think you are, you need a reality check, not a government check. But Trudeau is not bringing in any reform. I argued with Stephen Harper and the Conservatives when they raised it from 65 to 67 that there were other reforms they could have done rather than that. But at least they were willing to look at reform of a program that is the baby boomer's age and get to retirement is going to drain our resources. Trudeau is not even offering to change the program in any way. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just groove into a little bit of the Stone Roses. Oh, wait a minute. That's the Happy Mondays. That's Step On. The Manchester scene. Back in the 90s. Back in the day. Uh, Brian Lilly, Beyond the News here on News Talk 580 CFRA. And I got a a, a quick email. I want to read this quickly and then I'll get to your phone calls. Uh, Because I told the story off the top of the show about my, today's my twin's birthday. And uh, Rick writes in and says that um, he has his his own St. Patrick's Day birth story. His mother-in-law was at the end of her life fighting cancer, and they didn't think that she was going to be able to to make it through to see the birth of his son. But the family decided to let the mother-in-law help name the pending, the, the baby that was coming. And so... His brother-in-law and suggested combining his name, Rick, and his wife's name's Pat, and therefore Patrick, and the kid ended up being born on St. Patrick's Day. So uh, happy birthday to, to Patrick, who apparently turns 24 today. I like that story. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. 
you want to talk serious? We can talk serious. You want to have fun? We can have fun. You can call in and ask me about whiskey. You can call, because we had Davin uh, Cargamo on, and I've got two copies of his book here. I wish I could figure out if I could give them one of them away for free. Uh, I don't know how prizes work. I'll ask about that, and we'll sort that out. But um, you want to ask me about whiskey? You want to challenge me to do an accent? Uh, spent many years on stage? I'll do accents for you. It's that kind of show tonight. Tom in Ottawa. Tom Harris. Yeah, Welcome hi, to the hi, show, Brian. sir. Good to speak to you. Yeah, yeah, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, in two nights we're seeing Earth Hour, and we're being told we have to turn off our lights, switch off our lights to save the planet. Tom, but it's you know, not called Earth Hour. Not in my house. It's called Human <laughs> Achievement Hour. Well, I'm, what we should do I'm is, with David is, Menzies on this. Have you ever seen David Menzies' take on this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's turning on all his lights and actually getting spotlights. <laughs> he, he, he rents spotlights and puts them out in front of his house. Well, what we really need to do is switch off Earth Hour. And to do that, you know, you have to understand what it's really standing for. It's not talking about reducing pollution or saving energy, which are sensible things. It was started, actually, by a group in Australia who consulted a public relations firm and said, you know, how can we actually oppose coal uh, in, the, in Australia? And they decided the way to do it was to champion the climate scare and to get people to turn off their lights to supposedly stop climate change. So, you know, what I'm telling people is you should de- definitely you know, switch off Earth Hour. Don't switch off your lights because otherwise you're supporting the climate scare. You and I have talked, and, and Tom, tell everyone the name of, uh, of your group again, because yeah, I'll the get the name wrong. Yeah, it's the International Climate Science Coalition. It was founded by the New Zealand Climate Science Coalition back in 2007. They had so much international interest in their nonpartisan science-based approach that they created our group, and I came on the next year. All right. So this is, uh, and you and I have talked about the fact that the UN says we haven't had warming since '98. Uh, we've just got that other big study. So the, you're right when you call it a scare. Another big study saying it ain't warming up like we were promised. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there was a 10% increase in the last uh, 19 years in the level of carbon dioxide. So there should be a temperature rise, but there really hasn't been. And, in fact, what they do is they get excited about small temperature rises, tenths of a degree, but they don't tell you that the uncertainty in the early part of the record that you're comparing today's temperatures with are typically a half a degree so you really have to have a, a much larger temperature rise or fall to be able to say that there's been any change at all. And, and that's something, you know, a lot of people don't seem to understand this business of uncertainty. It's like getting excited because the moon got a millimeter closer, but you can only measure it to a centimeter. You know, in an election, people don't get excited when somebody has a 1% lead in the polls if the uncertainty is plus or minus 5%. But for some reason, on, on, on the climate issue, you know, people just are crazy on this. They say, oh, my God, you know, disastrous climate change. Well, you say, well, what's happened in the last century and a half? We've had 0.8 degrees rise. Well, big deal. The only impact of that is beneficial. So all of this is based on computer models that don't work. And so people should not pay attention to Earth Hour. It's not about pollution. It's not about saving energy. It's about the fiction that we can control the climate. And, and you know, really, very, very specifically, we should not take part in it. All right. Uh, turn on your lights, rev up your car, enjoy. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Dave in Ottawa. Uh, I don't know what's up with these buttons. Dave, game. you're calling in. Yes, sir. I'm not turning off any lights on Saturday night. I'm watching a hockey game, not going dark. <laughs> Good for you. You don't want to lose the hockey game. No, no, no. Um, 
No, an Irish accent. Who's your man? Who's your man? Yeah. No, I'm being from Newfoundland. We have one that's called. What's the gaff on this? But yeah, but you Newfies all sound like you're from Dublin. Yeah. You don't sound like you're from Belfast. Where's your man? Yeah. Where's your man? What about you? See, yeah. that's Belfast, right? It right is, there. Yeah, yeah, that's where I learned it from the Belfast, best Belfast fellow in school. Yeah, that that that's the best. But if now if you're from our, if you're from Dublin, then it's a bit it's a bit softer like it this, is, right? Yeah. It's a bit softer, a it bit is, more yeah. sing songy. I can do this all night. Protective parenting, what are your thoughts? Well, I was going to tell a few stories when I was a kid, and one in particular, we'd go uh, swimming in the summertime to a park, which is about two, two and a half miles away, and out to the edge of town. And uh, sometimes we'd walk down to the bottom of the town and walk the railway track in. Got a good sense of balance from walking on those railway tracks. Now, another I bet time you we- would, yeah. Now, we'd walk, sometimes they'd go out the highway towards the park, and there was this guy who worked there, and if he was coming in his pickup truck, he'd see us all with our towels in our hands. He knew where we were going to, out to the park. So he'd stop sometimes at a light, or sometimes just slow down to a walking pace, and we'd all jump in the back of his pickup truck, even on the fly. <laughs> now, sometimes he had his car, and he had one of those little uh, yard trailers that's about a foot and a half high on the wall to pull stuff around the yard. And he had that, and we'd all climb into that the same way. Try to do that nowadays. Well, yeah, I, I just remember rolling around the back of the uh, the station wagon, six of us. Yeah. Climb in the back of the station wagon, let's go to the drive-in. No seatbelts in the back of station wagons. Nope, there's definitely not. We'd go all the way from Port Dover on Lake Erie back to Hamilton uh, on Lake Ontario uh, after a day at the beach. It was great, great fun. Now, would I recommend it? Would I do that? No, not necessarily. Um, I do believe in some safety, but I think we are overprotective still. I, I think so, too. I mean, my parents knew where we were going and how we were getting there and stuff. And, you know, they, they trust us to be, to be sensible and careful. And we we're going with a bunch of our friends. And, you know, you know, that, you that know what? Go, going out in groups definitely helps. All right, Dave, thanks for the call. All right, what about you? Do you want to hear another accent? Do you want to hear something different? Call in now, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-2372. That's 1-800-580-CFRA. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I'm the puncture fixer. It's one of the lines that I had in a play. It's one of the few lines I remember. I think that was from Stella by Starlight. Play performed at the old St. Patrick's Hall behind St. Patrick's Basilica here in Ottawa on, uh, what's that on? Is that on Nepean Street or Gloucester? I can't remember. Uh, But it was in behind and there was a theater there. It's where I actually put on the play that I lost... um, all my money on. I moved to Ottawa in 1998 to start a theater company, and um, and then later worked for uh, worked for Centerpoint Theater and um, been involved in different things. But I I came to Ottawa to start a theater, put on a play there. But before that, was involved with uh, the old Terra Players. That hall has been torn down now, but it was a great facility. But that was one of the lines that I still remember. I think it's the only line from that play I remember. I'm the puncture fixer. I, I I was playing a character that, um, let's just put it this way, was dating the daughter and 
nobody wanted their daughter dating this guy. Um, I worked at the garage. My only job was fixing the flat tires. I wasn't even good enough to change oil or be a mechanic. I just fixed the flat tires, and I wasn't trusted to do anything more than that. Thus, parents would worry about it. Willing to do accents for you here, 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. Jeremy calls in and says, do a South African accent, I dare you. Well, I dare you to call in and help me, Jeremy, because I actually don't know that I could do a South African accent. I went to school with some guys from South Africa, but they'd mostly lost their accents and they'd only lived there for a few years. Their parents had gone... Um, their parents had left Scotland the same time my parents did. And what would happen back then is one brother would go to South Africa, one would go to Australia, one would go to Canada, one would go to the United States. They end up not liking South Africa and moved to Canada. So they didn't really have them. South African accents to me sound lost. They're not English. They're not Australian. They're kind of lost. It's like the, the English went down there and got injected with a little bit of strange Dutch because of the whole Afrikaans boer thing going on. You want to call in and and guide me through it? I will do my best, but I'm not going to guarantee anything. Uh, You want Irish, you want Scottish, you want English, uh, I'll, I'll do other ones as well. I'm not sure Bill and I ever did it, but when Bill Carroll and I were both at uh, News Talk 1010 out of Toronto, I think we had talked about once doing a whole uh, segment, because I used to go on with Bill. I was the the Parliamentary Bureau Chief, so I covered Parliament Hill for 1010 in Toronto and CJAD 800 in Montreal, now part of the Bell Media family. And I, uh, I, so I used to go on and talk about what was happening on the Hill, and I think we talked about it but never did it, doing the entire segment without telling anyone in a Scottish accent, because I would be able to drop in that and, and do that. Oddly enough, despite my family not being from Ireland, it's actually easier for me to spend an hour or two in that accent. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. One thing that's really bothering me today is constantly seeing headlines, whether it's on the newspaper sites or on TV, that the retirement age is moving back to 65. They're moving the age for OAS. And if I've made that mistake as well, then I apologize. You can retire at whatever age you want. And if you're a civil servant, you're probably retiring before 60, let's face it, for an awful lot of them. I know some of you out there, especially in the lower end, you're not going to be able to retire at 54 or 57. But there's an awful lot of civil servants that will retire early. But the OAS is not when you retire. The OAS is supposed to be there to lift seniors out of poverty. Justin Trudeau is saying, instead of in 2023 going from 67 or 65, moving it up to 67 by 2023, he's going to keep it at 65. Fine, but bring in some other kind of reform. The other thing that I'm wondering about, Uber. I'm of two minds on Uber, and I'm rarely of two minds on things. But Uber being told that they can't pick up at the Ottawa airport, I I have some sympathy for the taxi industry because these guys... If they do not follow the law, they lose their license, and then they lose their livelihood. And Uber has next to no regulation. Now, I use Uber, and I like Uber. And 
the introduction of Uber into Ottawa has forced some cabbies to up their game. But saying, you know, we just need to get rid of Uber, that's not realistic. It's not going to go away. But the answer isn't to make Uber hold to the same regulatory system that the taxi industry now has. Because the fact is, the taxi industry is over-regulated. Case in point, Uber's no longer allowed to pick up at the Ottawa airport. They never were allowed. They just did. I guess now they're going to try and enforce them. In Toronto, by the way, they are allowed to pick up at the airport. Uber Select, which is a high-end car, they can pick you up at the airport. You know what they have to pay the airport every time they drop by and collect somebody? 15 bucks. So $15 a year fare before you even get in the car is going to the Toronto Airport Authority at Pearson. That is crazy. I got in an Uber at the Ottawa, or sorry, at the Toronto Airport at Pearson a couple of months ago. It was like a Lincoln Town car or something like that because that's the level of car they're allowed to bring in. It was $55 to take me downtown. A flat rate taxi, and I don't recommend the taxis in Toronto ever, um, unlike the taxis in Ottawa, which are much better. A flat rate taxi in Toronto is $50 from the airport to downtown, and a flat rate limo is $60. You're not saving any money with Uber anymore because they're making them live up to the regulations. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And Jeremy, I know you're listening because you've emailed me several times tonight. You want me to do a South African accent? Call in, walk me through it. Anne-Marie in Canada, you're on the program. Hey, Brian. Happy St. Patty's Day to you. And to you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I won't make you do an accent, don't worry. uh, No, that, that, that is an important... Heck... When I got married, I married a, a guy, an Irish guy, and I had family coming from England who had never, ever been out of England. But in the history of the English family, no one has ever married an Irishman. <laughs> they thought maybe sometime someone married a Welshman. However, <laughs> no one had married an Irishman. That would be controversial back then. Yeah, for sure. You're calling in about Jody Medic, though. Yes, I am. Um, I am disgusted, repulsed, extremely annoyed at at the comments that are being made about Councillor Medic. He has a right to own a gun. I would agree with that. He has a right to make a post or a Twitter or whatever to his friends' followers regarding such purchase. And to be chastised for that just infuriates me. He has done nothing wrong. How could he know that someone was going to shot. I mean, heck, look at the number of shots we've had and killings we've had in the city. There was, there was. Um, I don't know if anyone was actually shot because I don't think they found anyone, but there was gunplay last night out at Meadowlands and Merivale. Was that because Jody Medic and I talked about guns on the radio? Probably not. No, it definitely was not. But 
oh, it's so hard to find the words. It's just, he has done nothing wrong. He has a right to his own life. Well, if you had seen the interview that they did on another network, um, and it was posted to social media and somebody shared it with me saying, you won't believe this, you would be doubly appalled because they their comments, and this is someone who is not a pundit like me, they're not a columnist, they're not a commentator, they're supposed to be a straight news person, but interviewing the counselor, they make it made it abundantly clear that they didn't think anyone should be allowed to own or, or people shouldn't be owning these things and shouldn't be posting it on in public and uh, thankfully counselor medic held his own he's a big boy and he can hold his own um but i had him on last night to you know let him tell his side of the story and and also to let him know we've got his back yeah i heard him last evening on your show i tried to call in at that time i also heard him in all of his other interviews on the radio throughout today and he held his own very very well because it was not difficult to do because he's correct <laughs> you know it's just thanks for the call Anne marie i gotta okay. take a break now thanks for the call though i'm brian Lilly. this is beyond the news news talk 580 cfra He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Winding down the show, the St. Patrick's Day edition of Beyond the News. I think I'm looking at a an ad for Newfoundland and the majestic landscape there. Um, it, it's captivating. I have to go sometime. It is the only province I have not been to in all of Canada so far is Nova Scotia, or sorry, Newfoundland. I've been to Nova Scotia, been to New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island. I can say I've been, but like for four hours, if that, on a campaign uh, junket. Uh, and uh, the rest of the provinces, I've spent uh, significant enough time in it to, to get a sense, at least of some of the major cities anyway. 521-TALK, 521-8255 if you want to jump in before the end of the show. Dennis is calling in with the St. Patrick's Day joke. And i got to say, Dennis, I, I'm a little worried, a little oh, apprehensive. Don't, be. <laughs> don't the, be, Brian. Well, this could go in a lot of different ways when people say they're calling in with the St. Patrick's Day joke. <laughs> well, I uh, only heard it today, so I certainly hope you haven't heard it before. Anyway, the joke is, uh, what do you call an Irishman that bounces off the walls? What would that be? Well, yeah, I mean, can you, you can guess. Uh, An Irishman that bounces off the walls? Right. <sighs> no answer? No. Ricochet. Oh, bum Can we get a rim shot for that? We got a rim shot there, Stephen? Get a rim shot ready. Oh, man. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome. My dad's okay. favorite used to be, uh, did you hear about the Irishman that sold his TV to buy a VCR? Let that one sink in for you. Of course, nobody buys VCRs anymore. I'll say this. So people are out. If I turn around behind me, 
it's still pretty busy in the Byward Market. And out behind the building here, I don't know if you heard earlier today, on the morning rush with Bill Carroll, they were talking about people having lined up for the uh, Heart and Crown, probably the quintessential Ottawa Irish bar. People were lined up at the Heart and Crown at 5.45 this morning. If you were lined up at 5.45 this morning, how plastered are you? How plastered are you if you are lined up before 6 o'clock? Now, I'm pretty sure the people that were there that early are gone by now. And if I really hope they are. If not, they'll be visiting a hospital with alcohol poisoning later on. Um, but the, uh, the fact is that we live in a country that allows people to come from all over the place and settle here. For my mother growing up in the Gorbals in Glasgow, St. Patrick's Day was when her mother would tie green ribbons in her hair and she'd head off to school. She was going to Catholic school and the other kids knew that because she had green ribbons in her hair because if you're going to the Protestant school, you would never have green ribbons on your hair on St. Patrick's Day. And so St. Patrick's Day was her mother would tie green ribbons in her hair and the kids from the Protestant school would rip it out. And I'm sure there was another day that was the same going the other way. But we don't have that in Canada. I know we used to, but we don't have that now. I can tell you that when I was in Scotland in 1988, I was chased across a park. I was going out with my cousins, and people saw three redheads and a brunette. My brother has brown hair, but I was with two female cousins and my brother, and the female cousins have red hair. They saw three redheads. They yelled, Fenian, and then an expletive I can't say, and started chasing us. My cousins just told us to run. We had to run and get in a cab that would take us the rest of our journey because they were afraid of what would happen if we were caught. We don't have that here. We tend not to bring our troubles from the old country over. And that, my friends, is a good thing. And it's why everyone is out there celebrating St. Patrick's Day, no matter where you're from. Edith is calling in about potatoes. Edith. Hi. Hi, my, um, my mother is was from Belfast, mm-hmm. and she never called potatoes. Potato was always taties. Taties. Yep. But she was um, she grew up in Belfast, and when they went down the Catholic street, they put the Catholic button on, mm-hmm. and then when they went down the Protestant street, they put the Protestant <laughs> button on. <laughs> That's a brass neck. And and um, I married a Catholic, and she didn't speak to me for three years. I, I know so that was them. I grew up with a guy whose parents moved to Canada because one parent was Catholic, one parent was Protestant. They couldn't stay over there. Yeah, you know, that's just mind-boggling to me. But anyway, we got she got over it after a while. Oh, good, good. Thanks good. for calling, Tatties. Yeah. Potato scones. You ever have those? Oh yes. Fantastic. Well. And we were the ones that had St. Bridget's Church, and today was one of our biggest aches. We had the Irish stew. We had the soda bread, and uh, they took the church away, and now it's a bar. Uh, It's a cultural center now. It's not quite the same, is it? Yeah, no. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for calling. Have a good evening. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And you. Wade is calling in. Uh, Wade is calling about impersonations. (laughs) Lily, lay your head down in the mushroom patch and have yourself a Guinness. What? (laughs) I have no idea what you just said. Say it again. 
Lily, lay your head down in a mushroom patch and have yourself a Guinness. Well, I like Guinness, but I'm not sure about laying my head down in a um, mushroom patch. In a mushroom patch, you know, no. It's funny because my uh, my great my uh, great grandfather was Scottish, my great grandmother was German. They were settled in Renfrew, actually, Ontario. A big big German population up that way. Absolutely, and and Polish, oddly enough. And my grandfather actually was uh, born in 1864 in Louisville, Kentucky, and the. Uh, uh, Married uh, Scott and German, born in 1875 in Renfrew, and they married in Ottawa. And that they had the five kids, and that was my dad, one of the five kids. It was just pretty amazing story, actually. Wow! But uh, hey, I like you... to hear your your your, your impersonation. <laughs> well, I love doing accents, and uh, I, would, oh, I love, it. I, love I, it. I won't do a Polish one, but I can tell you, up the valley, there's a wee town called Barry's Bay. And uh, yeah. they still have, there's uh, two, I'm told there's two Catholic churches in town. One's Irish, one's Polish. The Polish portion of Barry's Bay has been there since I think the 1870s. The Irish about the same, but there's still the Irish parish and the Polish parish. Does that make any sense to you? No. But Barry's Bay is wonderful. Great place to visit. Thanks for calling in, Wade. Not a problem. All right. If you are out out and about having fun tonight, do it responsibly. Enjoy yourself and get your Irish on. Uh, it's been fun uh, being with you tonight, and hopefully everyone wakes up without a sore head in the morning. The sari heed. You don't want a sari heed, do you? No. All right. Uh, that's a pub from... Never mind. That's a story for another day. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRN.